What's good, family? It's your boy Trader Rules from Real Last Conversations, and I get a question all the time. How do I make a podcast? And what I make my podcast on is Anchor.fm. Anchor is a free app that allows you to make your podcast anywhere from your phone or your computer. You can make money off of this. So please add to your podcast either in the beginning or in the middle. That's free game right there. You have everything in one place. So please download an Anchor free app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. Please. Let's make this money together, y'all. Love. What's good? It's your boy Trader Rose from Real Last Conversations, and this is episode number 30. We're doing part two today for Depression is Real because honestly, I think this is a serious topic that a lot of people was going through, and I couldn't just fit it into one episode, so I had to do two parts of it. So today, I'm starting off with one of my uh, college friends. Her name is Bree. She into fitness and everything, and she told me she had a different take on depression, so I really just want to dig into her head to see what she had to talk about it. So uh, real quick, Bree, can you just introduce yourself and like what you do? Yes. Um, so my name's Bree. My Instagram is body by Bree and that's B-A-W-D-E-E by Bree. Um, it's double underscores at the end too. And I currently do like health and fitness. Um, I do meal prepping for people. I don't train anymore just because it was not something that I was finding my passion in um but i do work out religiously um and plan to start posting workouts again soon so check out my ig for that um but yeah that is it's just a little bit about me i guess all right dope dope and y'all said y'all said you're a nature girl as well she in nature right now so i feel like <laughs> yeah, she's I at peace <laughs> i came inside because the birds they do get really really loud but yes i do like they was nature. chirping like chirping. i ground yeah, I ground every morning. I go outside and walk around barefoot with, like, in the grass. Um, just Real, chill. I know this kind of, like, separate from it, but my one homeboy was telling me that, you know, grounding, like, really gets your energy right with, like, the like the, the world and stuff like that. Can you kind of explain what ground yes. is real quick? Well, I can explain it from what my, what my take on it is, I guess. Um, every, I mean, grounding is basically just, you go out in nature, of course, like outside, you can go in your backyard, anywhere where there's grass, concrete, anything, and you just basically barefoot, you walk around. It's a way of like, to me, I feel like it wakes up all of your senses, like kind of gets you ready going for the day. Um, you can put some of your energy back into the earth. You get an energy from the earth. Like we need each other. <laughs> Um, in order for it to keep going around. So, like, I think it's great if everybody would get up every day, barefoot, take your socks off, go walk around in your backyard, like, give some of your energy, your good energy, back to the earth. Because we take so much, and we don't give anything back. So, that's kind of my take on grounding. And I do it every day, like, any time of the day. Like, just randomly, I walk outside barefoot, no shoes. <laughs> okay, okay, that's dope. All right, yeah. so some let's... people like meditate too. Like they go out and like meditate, and that's kind of their form of grounding. Like because it's, um, like at the base, it's like your root chakra. So a lot of people sit, you know, cr crisscross applesauce 
in the grass and just like breathe and meditate and like kind of just you know release anything that you need to release all right cool cool so my first question to you is how would you define depression what is depression to you (laughs) so yeah like this is why this is where i was saying like i think my take on depression sometimes is a bit controversial um originally i assumed depression was a form of like a chemical imbalance that i had um kind of like in my brain to where I just couldn't push past it. Like it was just something that I couldn't control unless I had meds. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's like basically what the gen- like just basic definition for depression is. I mean, like you can't get up, can't get out the bed. Sometimes you can, but you still like are just, you're not there. Like you're, in like a very dark space inside of your body you can some people can function some people can't so that's kind of what i thought depression was at first (laughs) and once i did a little more digging i realized that maybe i wasn't depressed and i was just kind of like lacking faith like (laughs) in god Okay, so, so spiritually. That was, yeah, spiritually. I was thinking like, mm, okay, maybe you just were really lacking in your faith at that time. But I do think it, like, I think depression is real. And I think some people really do really, 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 really struggle with it. Um, and I do think some people may need meds for it. But I think for a lot of us, it's a lack of faith. And we may not necessarily be depressed, <laughs> per se. Okay, so when you was depressed, what was the root cause of it? Mm, when I was depressed, the root cause of me being depressed, and to me, was just trying to keep up with things that were not really what I wanted. Like, I wanted to, like, for instance, with college, like I was depressed the whole time in college. Like I hated it. I was terrible. But it was because I was there to do something that I didn't really want to do, but it was what the world, like what society wanted me to do. It was just what was expected Expected, out of me after high school. Like, you know, you smart, you graduated high school, you got to go to college. Like I never had any other option or any other thought in my head of what I would do other than college like I wanted to like literally walk around hike all day when I graduated I didn't want to be I wanted to be like outdoors traveling but that was like not a thing back in when I graduated high school in 2011 coming up on my 10 year it's crazy but like yeah like that wasn't we didn't have other options it was strictly like you go to college or you a bum bitch, basically. Oops, sorry. But no, like, you good. Yeah. We grown. We grown. Uh, <laughs> so, so I just feel like I was depressed because I was just doing what other people wanted to do. And I wasn't necessarily really following my purpose or living in my truth. I was just doing what other people wanted me to do. Okay. So what age did you finally just break out of and just be like, hey, I'm getting my faith together? Like, what was the breakout point for you? Oh my God. I was probably like 25 going on 26, I think. Okay. So 
it hasn't been long, like maybe a year and a half ago, two years almost. I'll be 28 next Saturday. So, yeah, like I just, I actually had like a, not a spiritual awakening, I wouldn't say, but I just felt like something wasn't right. I moved to California for a while and I lived out in Cali. And <laughs> when I, I moved back to St. Louis, I ended up moving out to Cali because I had a contract. I got a contract for the company that I worked for now or used to work for. And they moved me out to Cali. I got a job out there. And then I ended up having to come back home because my contract ended there. And of course, like California is expensive. Like I was not going to be one of those people out there living with no job. <laughs> like it just wasn't an option for me. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back home. So I ended up going back to St. Louis, coming back home. Um, and I was working and everything. And like, it was cool, but I was just like, nothing's not right. Like I just wasn't, I was no longer being, being able to go hike every day. I wasn't able to like in California, you can kind of walk around however you want to. Nobody's really judging you. Nobody's paying attention to you. Nobody really cares what you're doing. Um, so I came back to St. Louis and I just realized that like a lot of the energy around me, the aura was just terrible <laughs> in my opinion. And I just felt like, I just knew then, I was like, I need to change. Something has to change. Like, I cannot keep getting up every day feeling like this terrible energy around me. Like, I just can't do it. So I finally just started doing what I wanted to do. And um, that's kind of just, like, what woke me up. Like, I ended up leaving home. And then in what I knew and what I was so used to and being like thrown out in California, like just doing that and taking a leap of faith and then being able to do all this different stuff and then coming back to St. Louis and being like buckled back down. I realized I was like, it's so much more to life than me doing what people want me to do or what people expect out of me. Like, I was living my best life getting up every day, <laughs> going out and hiking, like walking around eating fruit, being able to just walk down the street and, you know, not worry about anything. The and the original just, basics, like how they used to yeah. do back in the, in the old days. <laughs> like old, that literally like sitting outside and just enjoying hearing the birds chirp instead of me waking up every day being like, oh my God, I need to figure out how I can be an entrepreneur, how I can quit my nine to five, how I can like really really be a millionaire like how i can be this instagram fitness influencer when in actuality all i really wanted to do was walk around outside barefoot with no shoes on my feet i don't want to be an influencer like i don't want to do this i don't that's not really what i want and when i woke up and was like wow you really been out here living for everybody girl you weren't depressed you was just really lacking like i didn't have faith that you know, doing what I wanted to do would make me happy. I thought that I had to do what everybody else wanted me to do. So it was kind of just like this, wow, like, just stop doing what other people want you to do. And you won't be depressed no more. Like, have faith that what God has for you and what God wants you to do is going to get you to where you want to be instead of trying to do what everybody else is telling you to do exactly so with your spirituality 
is it just like, you know, you have faith in the grand creator or do you go to church? Like, how do you express your spirituality? So I'm not much of a church person. I'm definitely more spiritual than I am religious. I know people, you know, like to go to church and I read the Bible and everything. I just don't like organized religion. So I'm more so like, you know, read my Bible, talk to God. My relationship with God is the biggest thing to me. Like, that's what my spiritual journey has taught me. Like, that I need to maintain my relationship with God, no matter what other people's relationship with God may look like. Like, going to church is what maintaining your relationship with God may look like. For me, it's sitting outside in what God created and talking to him. So a personal connection. Yeah, like more so of a personal thing, because it's like I can't connect with him personally in a group because I feel a lot of the emotions around me and a lot of the energies around me. So I prefer to go out into what he created, which is undisturbed, unbothered, untouched, untraumatized for the most part. (laughs) Oh, And just, like, talk to God, ask him questions that I have to give him, and he gives me answers. Like, so, I feel like that's kind of, I didn't forgot what the question was now. Um, I was saying, saying, how do you you express your spirituality? Yeah, but you was going into it. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, I write, journal, talk to God. That's, That's basically most of it. I meditate a lot, watch what I eat drink a lot of water, (laughs) you know, do treat others the way I want to be treated. That's my biggest, biggest thing, I guess. So I feel like at a certain point, you really got into your fitness. Does that have to do with your spirituality as well? Do it all come together? Um, slight, yeah, because I started, I actually started getting into my fitness because, well, I was a exercise science major. And I knew I couldn't be, (laughs) I knew I couldn't be, I knew I couldn't be walking around like, um, you know, fat. I was like kind of chunky. So I knew I couldn't be chunky and trying to train people and tell people what to do. And that was when I was in college. So I had to kind of like get it together. But I was doing that again to maintain something that I felt other people wanted. Like everybody else was saying, you can't be chunky and be trying to train people. How you going to be fat and trying to train people, you know? So I'm like, yeah, let me get my shit together. But then I started working out, got extra small. And I kind of feel like people started obsessing over the way I looked. And that I didn't like, which was why I stopped training. Because people, I want people to work out because they want to work out. Like, I want you to work out because you want to feel better about yourself, not because you're trying to look away for somebody. So, I mean, but but don't we all have different goals, though? We do. But that's what I'm saying. When I had my spiritual awakening, kind of, I was just like, yeah, you like to do, I like to do nature stuff and I like to hike and I like to run, but I don't necessarily want to, I don't want to have to maintain my image like a super duper small waist bubble but like you know just being this 
it's just the aesthetic. Like, I'm a mind, body, and soul trainer. Like, I want you to make sure your mind is right. If you come into a session and your mind isn't right, I'm going to want you to do a meditation before we get started. Like, I'm not going to say push through with these deadlifts. Like, that's not, we can't. Because you're really only deadlifting because you want a big butt. But inside of your head right now, you have some other issue that you're dealing with. So are the deadlifts really going to help? Mm. No. You need to sit down and you need to meditate on what is going on in your brain right now. Before we can start working on this, which is for your aesthetic, which is for your flesh, mm. not for your spirit. Well, they say you so get like the you get the best results when you have that mind-body connection. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. You do. You do. And I thought I looked good when I was like training like five days a week, eating a certain, eating on a certain schedule. But once I had my spiritual awakening and I was like, I want to have bacon. I want to have ice cream. Like, and I kind of stopped <laughs> putting so many boundaries on myself because I was this face of fitness for people and like all of that. I, the way I look now, I was like maybe 155-ish whenever I was like super lean and whatnot. And I'm like 178 now. And I have never been happier. Like, <laughs> never. Like, it's it's perfect. And it's like when you actually doing it for you and you're doing it to make yourself happy and not to look away so that people want you or so that you get attention or like, so that I can get more clients, so I can make more money. Like, I feel better. Like, I feel better. I look better. Sleep better. And be going. Hair growing. It's just, it's Flourishing. not always about, yeah, you just flourish. It's not always so much about what other people see or what other people expect or want. It's just you. Okay, so what advice would you give to somebody who is going through depression right now and they need to like jumpstart their spirituality and fitness journey so they can start feeling better talk, about themselves? Talk to God. Is he going to tell you what to do? <laughs> People just, like, you really do have to talk to God, like, every day. Like, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing, especially anybody who's dealing with depression. Like, because you, you can't, you, you're not going to get out of it on your own. And that's why a lot of people stay in it is because you're trying to do it by yourself or you're trying to do it with meds and the meds can only help so much. Like you, you can't do that. Depression is a weapon formed against you. It can't, it's not going to prosper, but only if you talk to God about it and you have God, God will tell you what to do. Like people want to go to therapists and like, yeah, you may need a therapist, but you need God. You need to talk to God. You need to sit down. And talk to God. Like, go sit in your grass and, like, just stop thinking about everything and talk to God. Because a lot of people, it's just a lot of pent up, I feel like. Stuff that's just there. Like, all of this dark stuff. And you end up building the darkness. Like, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why they tell people to do your shadow work. Because it's the darkness. But... So real, real quick, define. There to be darkness. There is light. So. Define shadow work. I'm, I'm. I can't really define shadow work. I'm not a person to. Um, you can't be throwing that word out. I was like, damn, like, she's about to teach me some. Yeah, shadow. But shadow work is basically like you looking at the dark parts of yourself and 
unpacking it, like figuring out, you know, like why you're like that, why you do that and where it comes from, where it stems from, what trauma it is that it stemmed from or what happened to you, what event it was. So that's kind of what shadow work is. But if you do the shadow work, if you, you know, break apart the dark, you can bring through the light. But a lot of people don't want to do that work because it's hard to look at yourself and like, you know, what you're doing wrong in the situation when you feel like there's nothing you can do. And with depression, you, you're in that, in that instance, you're a victim. It's like, I can't get out of this. Like my brain won't let me, but it's like, if you sit down and you think about it and you do some work and you talk to God, you might be able to get up out of that. If you, you know, have that warrior spirit. You got to have a warrior spirit about yourself, too, when you're depressed. You got to know that you you going to get out of it. Like, that shit is not you. You have to know that. But in order to know that, you have to have faith in God. Because you can't get out of anything without him. So. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a word. My advice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, Bri. I know you're a busy lady. I just wanted to hear that, you know, different word. Uh, A lot of people, you know, told me different things, and I'm happy that you kind of gave a different outlook on the whole situation because there is different ways you can tackle depression and overcome it. It don't always have to be, like you said, therapy. You just got to find what works for you. And I think that goes with anything in life. Exactly. Literally anything in life. Find what works for you and do you. Thank you so much, Bree. Hope you have a great Sunday. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun. Anytime. I need to have you on again about fitness. You know, I need I need to know know some more tips on that. But again, the mind and body together, because honestly, I feel like when I do work out, I'm just focused on the physical and not really the, the spiritual and mental. So we got right about yeah. that one day. You got to. Yeah. Hit me up. Text me anytime. Like you need any advice or anything like that. I've really been I'm trying to kind of go more towards like being a fitness, I guess, like consultant more so Guru. And just be able to like mm. yeah <laughs> pretty much like give people my knowledge and post my workouts and stuff but i'm kind of past the training aspect of it Personal like training. i think i have way more to give to people than just a fat ass like i could do so much more for you like just bringing the fitness into your whole life like it is it's a necessary it's like vitamins like you need your vitamins, you need your fitness, you need to work out. Like, you just need that aspect of your life. So, all right. Yeah. You heard it first from Bree. Uh, thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. So, I'm going to call my next guest and see what they're talking about. We, hello. What's good, bro? Yo, what up, brother? Can you hear me clearly? Uh, let me check. Make sure my phone is turned all the way up. I think I'm good. I think I can hear you. All right, cool, cool. So, yeah, I just had one of my guests on. Uh, you're my second guest. Actually, you my uh, first male guest on talking about depression. So, I'm waiting to oh, get wow. a guy on about this. Just because, especially a black man, mainly because there are a lot of things I feel like we hold in or feel like we can't talk about due to our upbringing. That's a fact. 
But before we start, uh, Avery, I just want you to introduce yourself. If you didn't want to drop your social media, just drop that and just give them a little background about yourself. Yeah, well, my name is Avery Collins, New Jersey. If you want to follow me on any social media, Facebook, Avery Collins, and Instagram is at Avery, and followed by 11 underscores. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I said 11 underscores. I know I just wanted to have my name. And that was the only way to get it. There's a long story behind it. But yes, Avery followed by 11 underscores. Um, and yeah, I am. I'm recently 30. Um, you know, and uh, I, I don't know what else you <laughs> what else you want me to tell the folks. No, you're, you're good. I just wanted to get like a brief, you know, background on you real quick. Uh, but the first question I want to ask you is. How would you define depression, and what is depression to you personally? Oh, uh, man. So that's a loaded question. I think depression varies, right? I think there's different um, levels and versions of depression. So I think that's one of the biggest things or one of the biggest stigmas that I want to try to debunk um, is that depression is universal or that it's cookie cutter. Depression shows up in so many different ways and areas. So you've got clinical depression. You've got situational depression. You've got, um, you know, some, you know, you know, a, a chemical imbalance um, and that, that can cause depression. So there's, there's so many different varying factors of what depression is. For me, I just would, if I, if I would define it in a way, I would say, um, honestly, anything that takes you out of a sober state of mind, that's kind of how I would define depression, right? Because when you're thinking clearly, when you're thinking of a sober, sober mind, typically you're, you're, you're clear, you're concise, you're, you're happy, you're joyful, you're appreciative, you're energetic, you're motivated, you're creative, you're all of those things that depression takes away from you. Um, and so that's how I would kind of label depression. So anything that kind of takes you out of a sober state of mind and, and a clear uh, state of thinking. Okay, so have you went through depression or are you currently going through depression? So I'm not currently going through depression. I mean, earlier in life, I did have a lot of depressive states. Uh, I would say I was heavily depressed. Um, never went as far as taking any medicine or anything like that, um, any prescription for, for it. However, um, and that's why I said there's varying levels, right? So I would say I'm not suffering from depression, depression now, but I do, I would say that occasionally I will suffer from uh, situational depression. Um, so for clarity, earlier, early in life, there was a heavy depression that it, it didn't matter if it was a situation. Things could be great in my life. But I would be depressed. Um, and, you know, obviously that looks different for everybody. So, you know, some people, you know, they can't get out of bed. They've got this numbness to them. They just, there's no motivation for, for, for living life. Um, others, it's, they can be out, but um, not present. So present, but not actually present in the moment. Um, for others, it could, you know, look like, you know, putting on that, that, that false smile, right? That, that puppet. Or that poker face. Like everything's um, good, but it's not. 
Exactly. And so that's kind of what it was for me. Right. Um, you know, growing up, I did a lot. I was into a lot. Uh, you know, I played football. I was in the marching band, the jazz band. I was dancing everywhere. I was doing all these things. I had a ton of friends. I was at all the functions and different things like that. But when I got home, I was suffering from insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I didn't want to. And there were times I would just sit there and, and cry. There were times when I didn't want to get out of the bed. There were times when I didn't feel worthy of the accolade that I was receiving. There were times where, again, I was putting on this facade where, you know, I was smiling and um, this happy-go-lucky, joyful guy who's, you know, rambunctious and rowdy and all of those different things. But truly inside, I was I was broken. I felt worthless. Um, and I was suicidal. Um, I've battled with suicide for a long time. Um, I would say even so much so that as to recently, you know, in recent years, I can say I've been delivered from it. And when I say recent, I mean, I'm talking about as recent as maybe two, three years. And so, you know, I've had multiple bouts with with suicide, never had a full attempt. But, you know, I, I would say the two prevalent ones that I can remember are I remember there was one season in my life, I would say probably between the ages of 23 and 20. Uh, now I'd say between the ages of 20, yeah, 22 and 24. Um, I was dealing with a, an extreme bout of depression for, you know, months on end. And I remember I was in Burlington, New Jersey. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, that train that goes through through Burlington. Yeah. Edgewater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a, everybody knows it's a, it's a big, slow-moving train, right? So it's not something that's, you know, moving extremely fast or anything like that. But it's a it's a freight train. It's got a, a, a ton of cars connected to it. And I remember it was maybe six degrees outside. It was about 2.30 in the morning, and I was outside in flip-flops, shorts, and a, and a, and a, and a T-shirt. And it was six degrees, and I didn't feel cold. I was completely numb. I was just standing outside and this train was coming past and I hear the horn and everything and I'm suicidal and I was like yeah today's the day I'm going to jump in front of it and I was completely adamant about that I was I was sure that I was jumping in front of this train now mind you the train doesn't move fast right but I knew that you're not stopping this train either um you stand in front of this train it's going to be it's going to be you know instant death and so I remember standing there, and I remember um, now this train. Like I said, it's a, it's a big train, but it's it's also an old train. It's rickety. It's got graffiti on it. The paint is rusted off of it. It honestly looks a little too big for the track. It looks like it's a you know could fall off at any moment. Like yeah. <laughs> a strong gust of wind could push this thing off the tracks, and you know all of those different things. And I remember looking at the train, and I and I just heard God say look at the train and i was like i am looking at the train what are you talking about and he was like no look at the train i said i am looking at the train and then i heard for a third time and i'm talking audibly like in my head in my head i heard and i knew it wasn't me thinking this because i'm like i'm looking at the train why would i tell myself to look at the train so for the third time i heard look at the train and i said and this this is when i kind of got a little frustrated i'm like what i'm looking at the train what are you talking about what do you what do you what do you, what do you, what do you want me to see and he said Notice how the train has all this graffiti on it. 
It's rusted. It looks beaten down and broken up. It looks like it's even about to go off the tracks, but it hasn't. And more importantly, it still has power, and it's accomplishing its job. And I remember God telling me, you have all this graffiti on you, this rust on you. You feel broken down. You feel beat up, and you feel like your life is going off the tracks or potentially so close to going off the tracks. Like if there's one thing else that's going to happen, it's going to knock you off the tracks, but you're not off track. I'm still, I'm still in control of your life. I still have my hand on you, and people still see power and still see purpose, and you're still accomplishing your, your job, just like this train is, no matter how beaten up it looks, it's still getting its job done. It's still powerful. It's still accomplishing its purpose, and I can do the same for you if you would just submit. And I remember that was the moment that I, I rededicated my life to, to, to Christ. And that was a turning point for me in the depression bout. And from that point on, I would say the depression was more situational. It wasn't an everyday, just seasonal cycle. It was more situational. So I would get put in a situation that um, would kind of break my spirits and then fight those bouts of depression and suicide and different things. So like I said, the second one that I can kind of recall was went through a really bad breakup. I was engaged, didn't work out, and it really broke me in a way that I really didn't expect it to to break me, right? Um, and so it really broke me in a way that I was just in a really, really dark space and was in a really deep depression. And I remember, I remember getting away, taking a trip to um, LA to see my sister. She was she was living out there, and then I remember going to Atlanta to talk some business with a friend, um, and to you know continue to get away and different things like that. And I remember being in this hotel in Atlanta. It was like two in the morning, and I'm in this hotel by myself, and I'm just crying my eyes out. And I stopped crying. I ended up calling my you know my mom, which was something new to me because. I typically held things to myself. I didn't talk to people about things. And so I called my mom, told her what was going on. After getting off the phone with her, I tried going back to sleep, but I just, the suicide, the spirit of suicide just kind of crept in. And so I started thinking, I'm like, how does somebody hang themselves with a belt? Like, how does that actually work? Like, I don't even know how you would tie it to a, in, into a fashion to be able to have it hang you. So I'm, when I tell you I was thinking and stewing on this and fantasizing about this for about two good hours, then I was like, you know what? Stop thinking about it. Just look it up. Just Google it. So I picked up my phone and I was getting ready to Google how somebody could commit suicide with a belt. And I remember, again, that audible voice saying, don't you look that up. Because if you look it up, you're going to do it. And I remember that was just a reminder of what. Uh, of of God reminding me of what He said to me at the at that train, you know, standing in front of that train, He said, "Listen, it's not over. You're still here. You're still breathing. You still have purpose. You still have power. You still have a destiny." And so, those two, like I said, are the most recent that I can I can essentially think of as far as the the, the suicide. But like I said, now it's a situational. But I will say that I believe because of the, my submission to God, um, a lot of the situational is even um, 
one is short term for sure, right? It doesn't last as long. Um, and two, it doesn't have the 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 amount of impact. So that's why I say I, I do believe that as far as suicide, like I haven't had extreme suicidal thoughts, ideations, or fantasies um, in, in in a couple of years now. So um, I give all praise and glory to God for that. Okay, so you you said a lot. So I, I just have. A- a couple questions off of what you just said. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's like an amazing testimony with the whole train and the train track and how it was it was raggedy, but it was still doing its job. Yeah. Regardless of everything. But to me growing up, I remember you was like you like you said you was a popular kid. You had like a lot of friends. So, when you do go through those emotions, you don't feel like your friends will understand like why, why don't you communicate with your with your family and loved ones? Well, I mean, it's it's a combination of things. The I would say the biggest root though is probably pride, pride and ego, right? Um, you have this this version of yourself in your head, and that you're trying to portray to others, um, and you and this 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 feeling of responsibility because you have so many friends and a lot of different things people are a little looking up to you and you don't want to feel like you're letting them down. Um, then you, you're dealing with this whole, you don't want to, you don't want to seem weak or, or weird or like you're, you're, you're somehow uh, less than. And so it's, it's, it's this constant battle. It's like you're battling this self-worth situation where you don't feel worthy, but then you're at the same time, you're like, well, I can't let people onto that because then they're going to deem me unworthy. And, they're, you know, they may be looking up to me. So, but it's like I said, it's a situation of pride and just, you know, ego and not wanting to, you know, um, to, to, to tell people because of a fear of looking weak, a fear of, um, you know, succumbing to, to whatever it is that you are dealing with. And then the shame that comes with that. Um, and shame is a real, is a real stronghold on, on, on a lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, not wanting to talk to people is definitely prevalent. And, and in addition to the fact that, and let's just keep it all the way funky here, we're not really taught how, right? We're not taught how to express ourselves and, you know, talk about our emotions, talk about what we're feeling. And it's looked at as taboo. Therapy is looked at as taboo. Expressing yourself and being vulnerable and transparent is looked at as being weak in, in our community sometimes. And, you know, you look at it from a young age, you, you stub your your, 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 your toe at five years old to scrape your knee and what's the first thing you know uh, uh, a little girl is like she's coddled right she you know kiss the boo-boo it's the put the band-aid on such and such but after a certain age for little boys it's big boys don't cry yeah be a big boy yeah you know be a big boy suck it up you know toughen up right and so that's kind of in a way conditioning and it's not just with the physical but it's also you know the mental I remember a situation I can recall, uh, and I won't say any names, but I remember a situation when I can recall I was, um, you know, I went through something, um, and I remember somebody who was older than me, who was a trusted source, who said, "Oh, you, you fine. All you, you just need to go out and 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 essentially sow your royal oats, right? Like you just need to go out and, and get some, and you'll be fine." And it's like, no, that's. That's that's not in fact true. Like I actually wanted to talk about this, but again, 
when you start to express that stuff, it's like at a, at a young age, because it's a taboo. And, and I'm not blaming anybody because it's what they were taught as well. It's what they were learned. It's what they were exposed to and how they were molded as well. So we have to do a better job of breaking that cycle and teaching our young men and women how to express themselves, how to truly emote and how to be vulnerable and, and, and transparent in order to you know overcome these things. But that, I, I, like I said, long story short, I believe that's those are the reasons that I didn't really talk to anybody about it. And then the, the last reason is because I didn't feel people could relate. Um, and, you know, we, we all want this sense of being and purpose and, uh, you know, with our with our comrades, our friends and acquaintances and family. And we want this, this sense of belonging. And so I, I didn't want to essentially forfeit that. At the expense of me saying, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this or, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling upset or, hey, I, I'm I really don't see a purpose of living anymore. And so, like I said, you know, that 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 feeling or that 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 sense of belonging that we have, especially growing up through adolescence, and you're finding yourself and you're connecting and building community. So, like I said, I think those are a lot of the factors that that caused me to, you know, it, you know, the word is stuffing, just stuff a lot of stuff within my within myself. But like I said, I think the main thing would be pride and ego. Like go back to when you was at that point outside by them train tracks did you ever think about what the aftermath would be with your loved ones and family and how they will feel or was that just not on your mind at the time no so a lot of people don't know um when it comes to suicide so there's a there's there's this mis this misconception about suicide because of how it's portrayed in movies or tv shows and different things like that typically somebody who's committing suicide does not leave a suicide note Typically, somebody who's going to commit suicide, they show signs of happiness, right? Um, there's this, but if they don't truly detach or anything like that. Like, and I'm not saying that this is universal. I'm saying this is typical. It gets to a point where I, you know, and I grew up in the church. I got to a point where I said, hell can't be as bad as this. And I don't think people understand how dark that situation and that mindset is where you get to a point where you're saying hell cannot eternal hell cannot be as bad as the life that I'm living here as the temporary emotions and feelings that I'm experiencing here. So I got to a point where I didn't really care what anybody thought because I just wanted release. I wanted relief from what I was dealing with and I wasn't worried about it. So, you know, leading up to it, you know, cause there's different thought processes and different things that kind of come into your head. So leading up to it, you're like, man, you know, I don't want to do this to my mom. I don't want to do this to my dad. And what if such and such, uh, you know, fails because I'm not here. And then, but through the process that starts to dwindle because it's, it, it, it really gets to this apathy feeling. Nobody cares. They won't even care. They'll be just fine. It doesn't matter. You're worthless. You're not. And this is just what the enemy is, is plugging in into to my mind. And, you know, because I didn't have tools to combat it and I didn't know how and I wasn't, um, you know, aware. It got to a point where I was, like I said, completely numb. So nothing mattered. Like I said, it was six degrees and I'm outside in shorts and a T-shirt and I felt nothing. I didn't feel cold. I didn't feel a breeze. I didn't. I just I knew it was cold, but I didn't feel anything. 
And I'm standing there and nothing mattered. I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm completely checked out. I'm good. And I, I really didn't care about what anybody else felt, thought, or would feel because of my absence because I didn't feel that they would notice or care. So I hope I ain't miss it, but did you do you know what the root cause of the of the depression was? Like one like what started it? Do you remember the day? Oh, man. Um I honestly don't I, I don't know if it was a root cause or like a, a specific point that I can that I can pinpoint. I think it was a, an accumulation of things over time. Um so for example, so my biological father didn't raise me. Now the the, the man who raised me culture would consider him my stepdad. I do not. He was there you know, the day I was born. He was in the in the, in the in the hospital room, right? So I consider him my dad. I don't consider him my stepdad. That is my father. That's my dad. Um, not and that's nothing against my biological father because me and him don't have any contention. I don't have any resentment for him. I know him and different things like that. Um, you know, but I'm not going to sit there and say that that's you know my dad or anything like that either. But um, with that being said, like I said, I didn't, he didn't raise me. I didn't. I wasn't grow, you know raised by my biological father. Now. There were times, and I don't recall this, and that's why I said I can't really pinpoint. But I know my mother has told me there was times, as a as a young boy, when my dad would say he was coming to pick me up, and I was coming to spend time with him, and then he wouldn't show up, and then I would be upset. I don't recall those those times. I don't recall those memories. There's only one time I can remember that, and I don't remember being upset about it. I just remember it being late, and then going back home. I don't remember being upset that. You know, my dad didn't come. Um, but, you know, I, I, through through that. Um, and then I do remember there was another time where we were supposed to spend the summer. I was probably like 12 or 13. And I remember he picked me up. We went out to because he lived, you know, in PA. So we went out there. And I remember where we parked in front of his house. He got out the car and said, hey, I love you. He walked down the street and then I didn't see him for like another seven years. And I was expecting to spend the summer summer with him, right? So I think that it was an accumulation of things like that. You know, when I when I when I actually moved to Willingboro, I was severely bullied in elementary school. I was I was I was bullied a lot, right? Um, you know, punched in the face for no reason, all these different things. You know, what I was age? a new kid. What age? Oh man, this is probably third, fourth, third to like sixth grade. Crazy. Um, just you know just bullied every you know every chance at every 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 turn and then you know that changed in in seventh grade because of dancing i remember having like a dance battle with a friend and then everybody's like whoa and then from there i you know i took it upon myself like oh y'all that's what y'all like and so essentially i started performing again putting on this this poker face performing for people i was like well dance is my way out so i'm going to dance my way out of the the bullying and the the constant pressure and such and such because people like it when i dance lo and behold a lot of people don't know i knew how to dance i didn't love to dance i loved music and that's why i danced because it got me around music more but and, and as well as like i said just kind of getting away from the bullying and people liked it and you know growing up it was a way you know girls liked it and yada yada, yada. but you know outside of that you know dance wasn't my passion that's why i never really truly pursued it like I said, the bullying coupled with, uh, I guess, the, the daddy issues, all of those things, you know, and I'm pretty sure there's other things that, that um, played a part into it. And 
you know, like I said, led to that accumulation, all that accumulating, and like I said, stuffing, not being able to talk about it, not wanting to talk about it, not knowing how to talk about it. You know, it it reared its ugly head on me and, and caused that depressive state. Mm. Okay. So with this whole journey, what did it teach you at the end of the day? Man, it taught me a, a taught me a bunch. The first thing it taught me is that I am nothing without God. That is the first thing it taught me. It taught me that um, my my entire existence, my entire being, is predicated on Him. Nothing is outside of Him, and it also taught me that He's stronger than depression. He's stronger than anything that I can feel. Um, he can literally cut through that. He can literally heal that. Not just console it and and you know, like when you, you got a your stomach ache and your mom rubs your stomach, it's not, not, he can literally take the pain away. He can literally remove it. He can literally take this situation away from you completely if you, if you truly submit. So that's the first thing, like I said, just understanding that I am totally nothing without, without God. Um, two, it taught me that nothing is outside of his control, that everything has a, has a, has a reason and a purpose. So for example, I'm on this 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 podcast today, talking about it, and I know that, or I hope that potentially somebody else is going to be able to be freed because of it. A lot of times, people wonder why we go through the tests and the trials that we do, not realizing that our lives are not about us. It's about others and delivering others and helping others overcome certain things. I remember Will Smith said, I think he just won a Kids Choice Award, and he said, "Run and read." He said, run, because it'll push you to to heights that you never thought you, you know, physically could could reach because it's building this mentality in you where you're like, you're tired. And you say, you know what, let me let me go another 10 more steps. And then, and then the next time you say, let me go another 10 more steps. And I was building this 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 um, this persistence um, and pers- perseverance in you. And he said, read, because. Typically, nothing that you've ever gone through or will go through, somebody hasn't already gone through and written it down, right? And so that's a part of, like I said, what I, what I was kind of alluding to is that there's a purpose in everything, um, and God has a purpose for everything. So I, I, I believe I went through and dealt with and deal with what I, what I, what I have because of the next person who is going to struggle with it, and. You know, we're called to be chain breakers, right? Uh, generational curses are, in fact, real. And we need to start breaking the chains and start, um, you know, changing the tide of that. The next thing I learned is that I am worthy and uh, valuable despite what anybody else thinks. Um, it's because God called me. He said that I was I was worthy, right? Like, and that's where I find my worth, not in people, not in my, not even in myself. And not in anything that I do or or say or whatever. It's literally in the fact that God said I was worthy, right? And I'm just reminded of the story of Moses when God told him to go speak to to Pharaoh. Moses gave all these excuses about his worthiness. Well, I can't speak, and how are they going to listen to me? Who are they? Who who should I tell them that you are? And all these different things. And God's like, I'm not. At, all I want from you is a yes. I'll deal with the rest. I called you worthy. I wouldn't be calling your name, Moses, if you couldn't do it. And so that's where I get my, you know, my, my fortitude and that's true. My, 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 my self-worth is, is in that. And then the last thing I said I would learn is 
to, in fact, talk about these things, to really open up, to really do the, the work, to do the hard work, to do the not just the hard work, but the hard work as well, because it's not easy talking about these things, especially, like I said, if you're not taught or accustomed to or exposed to it. But one of the things my pastor says is once you're exposed, you can't be unexposed. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you've been exposed to it, you cannot be unexposed. And so, you know, I've been exposed to people now in my life who know how to express themselves, who know how to be vulnerable, who know how to be transparent. And it's allowed me, one, it's afforded me a safe space to do that. And I think we all need to be become um, safe spaces for people to do that. Um, like you can be a safe space for somebody. So I think a lot of times people don't talk about things because they don't feel like they have a safe space to do so. But also, like I said, just being able to teach people um, and show people just through our actions um, and our example of how to to truly walk through this. You know, I, I see I saw a meme the other day, um, and it's a pretty universal meme. It talks about the same words, the same letters that are used to spell depression also spell I pressed on. And that's really what this is about. It's about keeping it's keep moving, keep going. You're still here. Um you're still you're you're actually winning like a lot of people think that, you know, they're losing the fight against depression. You're winning. You're still breathing. You're actually winning. You're actually beating depression because depression hasn't taken you out. So those are those are the things I've learned, man. Just like I said, the, I'm nothing without God, that nothing's out of his control and everything has a purpose. Um, and that, like I said, I am worthy because he called me and that I need to, in fact, talk about these things and, and help others um, be comfortable and, and learn how to, to to talk about these things. Yeah, that's deep, bro. I, I just want to say that I appreciate you and uh, you being vulnerable on this episode and just giving real life experiences that I feel like a lot of people do go through, you know, when I uh, yeah. posted about depression on Facebook, I was just surprised by the number of people who wanted to, t- to talk about it. And it showed me that even if we think we are the only ones going through it, like, honestly, this is something that everybody feels at some point in their lives. And you shouldn't feel scared to, you know, tell your experiences and how you got through it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know half that stuff. I remember you as the dancing kid back in. <laughs> I remember we used to have camp back in the days, you know. I remember you used to dance mm-hmm. around there and all of that. And just to hear your mindset and what you went through during those times, I would never have known. Yeah, I mean, typically people wouldn't know. Like I said, you know, like I said, when you posted the status, you said you were shocked. And I was like, yeah, most people are when they find out because I was such a happy-go-lucky and rambunctious and just kind of out there kind of kid. And, and I am extremely extroverted. Um, but I, you know, I have those introvert tendencies as well where, I, you know, I can go into a show and close people off. And that's actually more common than people think. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, and I, I don't find it coincidence that when you posted the status, the majority of the people that commented were in fact women. Right. Um, I don't know if it's the, a, a comfortability thing where they're more comfortable. I don't know if it's a, an exposure thing where they've been taught how to express an emote. You know, they, they you know, there's this this misconception of oh, women are more emotional than men. That's actually not true. They just know how to express it more. They know how to and they're not afraid to express it more. Men are actually very emotional. We just don't express our emotion and we end up stuffing. And then that's how we end up imploding. 
you know, even the, the, the one brother on your on your status who said he was like, you know, I suffer from it, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to talk about it. I'm not sure if I want people to know what I'm dealing with. That's so common with within, you know, the male community. It's something that we, we, we struggle with. And more important, like I said, we don't know how sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that's that's prevalent. Like you said, a lot of people deal with it. And like I said, it doesn't always have to be clinical where you're taking medication for it or anything like that. Sometimes it's situational depression. There's there's levels to it. Exactly. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, I got a few more calls I got to do. I won't take up too much of your time, Avery. But I appreciate your word. You know, I hope I can have you on again so we could kind of talk more about the whole your religious journey and things like that. Cause I feel like that would be r- really powerful as well. For sure, man. Anytime, man, I appreciate you having me. Thank you for considering me. Um, and thank you for opening the door for this conversation, man. It's something that is, like I said, it's something that's needed. And I know that there's, there's, there's a lot of good and a lot of freedom, um, from bondage that's going to, that's going to happen because of your willingness to, to open the door to have this conversation. So, you know, uh, props to you and, you know, thank you again for, for considering me. I know God is going to bless you through this. And um, you know, I can't wait to, to, to see what what testimonies come from 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 just that that small status that you posted, man. It's it's the small things that can become big things. So thank you. Appreciate it, bro. It's all love. You have a great Sunday, man. All right. You do the same, man. All right. Peace. Yeah, that was real deep. Uh, that was that was t- this is today's Sunday, so that was a testimony that I think any everybody can learn some from. I really appreciate that one, especially coming from a man perspective, because as men, it is hard for us to emote and just describe how we feel, and I feel like we have to break that generational curse for the young men growing up in the future. So. I got two more guests coming on. It's going to be like probably like a two-hour episode. So please just stay with this episode and just get all these good gems and all these good testimonies and stay with me. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Doing good. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can hear you good. All right, good, good. So... I know you know this episode is about depression, and I saw you reach out, and a lot of people told right. me to talk to you about it. So, real quick, can you just say your name, introduce yourself to everybody so they can know who you are? Okay. Um, I'm Sierra Clark. I am the owner of Skin I'm In, I had, which is a nonprofit organization for the community. Um, I'm also a freelance hairstylist and community activists, everything black, everything about women, everything about rights. So that's basically the sum up of Sierra. Okay, I, I got you. A All right, of, A woman of many talents, I see. I'll be trying just a little, just a little. No, I'll be seeing you working. You got like a good, you got a good uh, crew around you too, doing a lot of positive things in the, in the community. So I really I do like appreciate that. I like to think so. I like to think so. They're pretty nice, I too. Good, good. So. When you reached out, I was so surprised when you said that you suffered from depression before. Because honestly, from the outside looking in, you just exude confidence to me. Honestly, like I, like you said, you know the skin you're in. You are, you know, pro woman, pro pro black, all of that. So when you told me that, I never really 
New Year's story. So I just kind of want to dig deep into that. But real quick, I just want to ask you, what is depression to you? Depression, I feel like um, it could be a state of mind. It could be a state of being. I feel like every person has a different perspective on what depression is because some people look at it as like, Oh, it's just a phase I went through. And then some people are like just clinically depressed and they literally have to take medication. Cause I've, I'm, well, this is something I didn't mention earlier, but I've worked in the mental health field. So I also have a degree in psychology. So I've worked with people who are like off the deep end, have to take medication, people who are um, self-injurious to the point where they have to wear helmets. Like I've seen all sides of mental health. So depression to me basically can be anything that somebody describes it as. To me personally, it was triggered by a phase in my life and unhealed trauma and things like that. To somebody else, it could just be where they're at and how they feel for that day. Or it could be just stuff that they're just, you know, suppressing. So everybody, I think, has their own different thing. I think mine's personally at that time was just me um, recognizing I had unhealed trauma. And I was like kind of waking up like, ooh, this what, is this what I've been dealing with that I ain't been talking about? Oh, mm, that's deep. <laughs> like, so once you kind of realize like, oh, wow, I'm sad because not only because of one thing that happened, I'm sad because of 20 million things that happened and I haven't been dealing with it. And now it's just weighing me down. And, you know, it's just a whole a whole tumbleweed effect, basically. So what age was that triggering point? I want to say um, this was 2017. So was that about four years ago? So I was about 21 when all of this was happening. So. Um, yeah, I, and I think um, that's like a kind of defining age, like you're, you're real early 20s. So I'm in my mid 20s, obviously now. But before it was my early, you know, I'm just starting to legally drink. I mean, we all grown. We already know I'm starting to legally drink. Um, I was fresh out of a relationship. Um, I had just lost the babies and it was just, it was just honestly just being transparent. It was just a lot. I had family stuff going on. And, you know, I think sometimes when everything happens at once, you just feel like the world's falling apart. But I think on the other side of it, you know, retrospect, um, I was looking back like, well, wait a minute, everything kind of was falling apart, but things was falling apart because I wasn't dealing with it. You know, a lot of times, especially even in the black community, we're just so used to like trucking on and, you know, not. Um, dealing with our feelings and being like, oh, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm cool. And that's just kind of like that slave mentality. Like, I'm be all right. I'm be cool. I ain't, I ain't got to really deal with this. I'm be straight. You know, I, I'm going to just, you know, smoke a little weed. I'm going to drink a little bit, hang out with my friends and I'm cool. And it's like, well, hold on. I'm still crying every day. I got to go to therapy. Like, this ain't, this ain't hitting. It ain't giving what y'all said it was supposed to give. So <laughs> I, I definitely feel like um, at that age, it's a lot of redefining. I was in college just redefining trying to figure out myself and it was just a really really big really big age okay so can you kind of explain what broke the camel's back when you were just like hey like this is not right like i gotta kind of retract to see what's going on can you like discuss that um yeah so you know what i actually remember the day very specifically and i know you know mariah so yeah. the day, very, very specifically, I always kind of had stuff going back and forth with my family, you know, and nobody's family's perfect. We, you know, we've gotten better over the years, but I had stuff going on with my family. I had like this crazy situation going on with my long-term high school sweetheart. And like I said, we were pregnant. I lost the baby. And I remember I had caught him cheating on me this one day. And I, I promise you, 
And I know people were like, oh my God, people be going crazy over men. And it's like, nah, it's not even necessarily men. It's kind of like the symbolism of like what it all means. You know, like you pour yourself into people or you pour yourself into situations and it winds up being dead ends. So I think the reoccurring factor sometimes with depression is like trust, like trusting yourself to be okay with yourself and keep yourself safe. So I was kind of upset. I'm like, wow, I'm looking around like, dang, all these people supposed to keep me safe and anybody doing what they're supposed to do. So the the straw that broke the camel's back was specifically, I call his behind cheating on me. And I went to his house and, um, yeah, he, I, I, I did some things to his car. It was not good. It was not good. And then I, I'm looking at myself like, wait a minute. And he took me to court and everything. And I was just like, wow, I'm about to lose my, lose out with my job. I'm going to get fired from my job. I'm about to get kicked out of school. I'm like, wait a minute. Like my baby done died. I was just like going through it. Just, just being so transparent, like just going through it. And then I look back and I'm like, I was just angry at everybody else and angry at myself because I couldn't handle everything that was going on. I had, un, you know, undealt with childhood trauma and that was coming up because I wanted to, you know, be more free sexually because I felt like somebody took power for me sexually. So it's just, it's so many like things, but I think that one, that one thing I was like, dang, man, I'm trusting you and you cheat on me, man. Oh no. Like it ain't even really, and you know, it wasn't even really what he did. It's just the sim. Symbolism. There's a trust. That, y'all had oh a, a friendship out there. Y'all used to tell your child, you're a high school sweetheart. But then you went diary and a mad black woman on his ass. Damn. I did. Just a little God. bit. I did. I feel like a little really bit was sorry. a lot of bit. I did. And I was, uh, I mean, it's medium. It's but medium. I got you. I, got you. <laughs> I, I was really, I really was apologetic after because once you kind of get on the other side, you kind of realize, like, wow, I, I, was, I was tripping a little bit. I was tripping a little bit. And it wasn't even, it's really not even the other person's fault that why you get like that. It's just a, a you know, a accumulation of everything that's happened. And you just wind up breaking one day. And I feel like that was the day I broke. Like, I remember I was on the phone with Mariah crying, like, three o'clock in the morning, like, girl, I'm going to kill him. And she like, girl, go get your ass back in the bed. I said, girl, I'm already at his house. Girl, you can't even stop me, okay? Like, oh I am goodness. just done, okay? I'm tired of people hurting my feelings. So, yeah, I had to keep going to therapy after that. I definitely, I was oh. in therapy for a minute. Okay. Yeah. So, I know you took, like, a spiritual journey. Like, you went on a trip and everything that kind of enlightened you. Can you, like, delve into that? Yeah. So, um, so what's crazy is it wasn't even, like, a, um, plan trip. So I went to Mexico for seven days by myself. So this was my first time um, out of the country. Like, and this is my first time, like a real vacation. Cause like anytime I like went out or, you know what I mean? Went to another state or whatever to visit, it would be like a weekend trip or something like that. So this was like my first real vacation. I went to Cancun completely by myself. I didn't plan to go by myself. I actually planned to go with my sister-in-law, but she was pregnant at the time. And then she wound up being high risk and they wouldn't allow her to go. And um, her sister actually had like a free reservation for like the hotel room for a week. So I was like, oh, all I got to do is pay for my flight and, you know, my amenities when I'm there. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go. But she wound up not being able to go. So I just was like, fuck it. I mean, I ain't been, I've been out here crazy, wilding, and I've been going through so much in life. And in my head, and it's, it sounds crazy saying it out loud, but in my head, I was like, if I'm to the point where I want to kill my own self 
and somebody, if I go to Mexico and somebody wants to kill me or kidnap me, what's the difference? It ain't like I'm trying to keep myself safe and sane and you know what I mean? So I was like, fuck it. If I kill myself or somebody kills me, I'll be dead either way. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go. I'm going to have a good time. Or if I don't, I don't. And I actually wound up having one of the best experiences of my life. Like the best. It was like, I feel like growing up, you know, you listen to your parents, what to do, what to say. You get in relationships with people. You, you know, you're listening to what they say to do, you know, just, just things like that. And I feel like that was one of the first times where I woke up in the morning and I was like, well, I guess I'm doing whatever I want today. Cause you know, you, you date people and you're like, oh, I like these restaurants. Cause he likes these restaurants. You're out with your friends. Oh, well we go to this bar. Cause my friends go to this bar. And then I feel like that was the first time I was like, wow, I can really do whatever the fuck I want. And I kind of didn't know what to do with myself for like the first day or two. I'm like, uh, yeah, I go yeah. to the bar alone. Now what? I'll go to bars alone. I'll party alone. I live alone now. And everybody is like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, yeah, girl. I mean, what, what the fuck? We all got to die. So, I mean, somebody going to bust up in here whether I live with somebody or not. So I just, I feel like that was my first step in independency and where I could really relearn that I couldn't put trust in other people and I just have to trust myself. Like, I'm going to be all right, girl. Or, you know, if I'm not, you know, it's just God's plan. You know, let it go. So you feel like in the beginning you was kind of dependent on what other people was doing to kind of get by then? I, I definitely think so. I think a lot of our disappointment with other people is because we have trust in them and we have expectations. And I think that's our issue. When we have expectations of people and they're not realistic expectations, we wind up letting ourselves down and we let them down because we're angry at people for doing things that they're that, that that's in their nature you know what i mean like it's a duck's gonna quack i mean you can't be mad of them mad at them because you expect them to bark and now you now you over there yell, yelling at him like it's just not gonna work it's not gonna work so i definitely think that that was changing so you kind of touched on it but you said you had like we say it was in mexico you said if you like you got went missing you went missing like you ain't thinking about what your what your friends would go through what like what, what do you mean like say you you were saying like you know you went to mexico or something happened to you like hey like say if something happens something happens would you not worry like with that mindset would you not like worry about what you're like you know how that would affect your family and your friends um a little bit so um my mom was very like my mom begged me not to go my friends begged me not to go and i was just like girl fuck y'all <laughs> It's just that simple. I, I paid for this shit. I didn't get no um I'm I'm one of those rebellious people where I just don't get um what is it called? Security for my flights. So once I book the flight, it's I'm 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 going. Like that's it. So uh I was a little bit worried like something would happen, but um I just stayed on my resort most of the time. I didn't really go off the resort like that. Um I wasn't out at night too late. Maybe like one or two nights I was out late, but I was like still in the resort just partying by myself. I got really drunk on the beach. I went to the spa. And like I said, when you when you think about it in that retrospect, like I've I went through the actual moments and I want I don't really um speak too publicly about it, but if anybody asks me and we're just sitting down having a conversation, I don't mind saying it. Like I've I booked the hotel room to actually commit suicide before, like take the pills and everything. So write the letter. I've had I've went to that full extent. So in my head, just like I keep saying is like if somebody else is going to, you know, bust in my hotel room in Mexico and take me away and kill me or do something to me or I got kidnapped. 
in my head, I, at that moment, I was saying, well, if I want to hurt myself, what's stopping somebody else from hurting me? What, if I don't have the biggest will to live for my own self and my own life, what's the difference between somebody else doing it? And that's like a determining factor for me. I was like, oh, well, shit. I guess if somebody did bust up in here, I think I did care about my life a little bit. So I think I need to clean it up. Like, you know, hold on, Sierra. I think I do care about living a little bit more. You know, I, I, th I thought I didn't because I was like, look, it is what it is. Look, who going who off me? Okay. At that point, I was thinking, getting on the plane, like, look, if something happened, somebody bust up in here, a little cartel, y'all got to come on, make it quick, make it quick. <laughs> make but it quick. yeah, uh, make it quick. So, okay. So what stopped you from hurting yourself? Um... I think at the last minute, I started seeing my family's face, like the last minute. And it's, it's yeah, I feel like I started seeing my family's face and I started rethinking over and over again because decisions like that, you can't take it back. The main thing that I always um, have heard from people in the past, like my therapist and even I, I'm still currently in therapy or in therapist now is that people who want to die. Die. And it sounds like very simple, but. You see people when they really want to commit suicide, they go very extreme and very hard. They get guns, okay, they shoot themselves in the mouth, they they hang themselves, they they um sit inside of their car and get um poisoned. Like they go sometimes very extreme, they'll jump off bridges. So a lot of times when people have suicide attempts, it's crying for help because you want the attention and you feel like the world around you cannot hear you. So you have to do something so it can physically manifest what you're, what you're emotionally feeling. And sometimes I feel like um, it's like a foreign concept to people, but the thing I always try to correlate it with is that, um, you know, how you ever hear those crazy stories, like somebody lifted a car to save their child or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, you know, damn well, you don't work out like that. You don't, you don't pump no muscle. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's your mind putting something physically into your body to push you to that point of strength. And if you can manifest something like that, you can manifest anything. Like if you're sad enough, you you're, you will feel physical pain. If you're sad enough, like I, I went through those phases of depression, like not washing my ass, not brushing my teeth, not eating, like it's deep, you know? And I, I feel like it's like a cliche side of depression where people don't talk about it. And it's like that ugly little, you know, elephant in the room and we just ignore it. But it's like, no, but let's talk about it, though, because when you don't do your hair, oh, it's deep. Like, I remember one of my friends had to sit me down like, sis, you can't wait. Like your skin, like you ain't waxed your chin in a while, friend. I'm like, oh, my God, really? And I just started crying. And she was like, I mean, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I was like, I'm so ugly right now. I hate it. And she was like. Let's just get in the shower real quick. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have somebody you know, real around you. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It's just it just manifests itself and and you don't wind up caring about yourself. Like you just don't care because you're like, whether I'm here or not, it doesn't matter. So that's I, I was just coming like that. Like, I mean, I could get kidnapped in America, I get kidnapped in Mexico. I mean, somebody kill me. I mean, I ain't got the balls enough to do it. So I was just waiting for somebody to come in and do it. But you know, as time went on, even in that, that week trip to Mexico, I was really just enjoying being alive. I didn't have responsibilities. Like, I felt like being home and I was just constantly reminded of trauma. And the second that I was out there, I was like, wow, there is life beyond what I've been through. And I think that's like something that I try to keep in mind. There is life beyond what you're going through and what you've been through. You just have to be strong enough to see past it. Yeah, you had a moment to reflect. So I did. 
I did. I was out there drunk reflecting. <laughs> it works. It works. Hey, it does. Liquor ain't the only way through it. But, you know, it's, it helps sometimes. But don't get, you know, don't get, you know, don't become an alcoholic. But, you know, it helps sometimes. You know. It gets you in the right spirit. Mm-hmm. It do. It so does. when did you start therapy? And is your therapist a black woman? So my first, I had two therapists. So my first therapist um, from a couple years ago, he's actually Hungarian, older guy. Like literally, when I say older, like new Dr. King and him, like real rap, like <laughs> knew them, got like all these awards and stuff like that. And he had a um, Hispanic assistant. So um, they were really cool down to earth, went to them for a while. Um, and I thought I was doing okay and I was doing better. So I wound up discontinuing with them because I was like, look, I've been, I've been doing my thing and I've been, you know, uh, just, just in a better mindset. Um, actually coming up on two years now, I started therapy again for some unhealed childhood trauma. So my therapist now is a black woman. And when I tell y'all it's the best experience ever, like not discrediting my first therapist, but my therapist now. Talking to her is like talking to like an older sister, cousin, and don't get it twisted. Like she's very, very still professional. But when we talk like once in a while, she'll break code and she'll be like, man, that's fucked up. And I'll be like, right? Like, right? Like, <laughs> and I feel, feel like I don't have this. to re-explain stuff to her. Like, I'll be like, yeah, because you know how niggas are. Like, I'll just come out and start talking regular. And I'll be like, yeah, because you know how niggas are. And they be lying and da 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 And she be like, yeah, I understand. And I'll be like, yeah, because you do understand. It's like, I don't have to re-explain Black things or Black perspectives or things that go on sometimes in the Black community. Because a lot of our trauma, unfortunately, is not because we're Black, but it is a lot of things connected to our, our heritage that we've learned over time. So I, I love having a Black therapist. I love it. Okay, so if you if you don't want to answer this, how did your childhood affect you? My childhood affected me. So you know what's funny about like childhood trauma? I felt like I was like five and then I was like 12. Right? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck happened between all them years? What happened, bitch? What the fuck? <laughs> and it wasn't until I got a little bit older and um, I started realizing like, well, hold on, something happened. Full transparency. I was molested as a child by a family member. So I think the big issue with me was, and this is just a regular thing. When people go through trauma, they try to forget it. Your brain tries to push that out just to make sure you're healthy. It's a natural brain reaction. You know, you might've went through something, I don't know, somebody passing and your brain is just trying to push, push that out just so you can get through the damn day. So I was looking back, like, I don't remember shit in my childhood, but you know, regular people, we just like, oh, oh I got to go to work today. So fuck that. <laughs> like, now I think about that today. And then I felt like as I grew older, because I started realizing that a power was taken from me, I wanted to take that power back. Now, a lot of people may manifest that in different ways. People try to take drugs. They try to, you know, not say nothing's wrong with the military or police enforcement, but they want to be in some type of control or power. Women become prostitute you know what I mean so or strip like people are just trying to find a way to take that power back whether it's drug use or whatever so I just felt like I was manifested in a way of just being a, a smart mouth and just being real proud and strong about who I am in different ways and it wasn't until I got a little bit older I'm realizing like oh wait I'm still a little girl somewhere and it's a little girl in me that's not healed and she needs to talk about some things and it was to a point where I'm proud in a way that I can say things like this freely 
but definitely a couple years ago, my, my lips would be shaking. Like it took me so long to even say it out loud to myself, what has happened to me. And then it's like, all right, well now you said it. So what's next? Like you got to go to therapy, girl. You got to, you got to talk to somebody. You got to confront people. You got to deal with the things that domino effect because you were you were hurt you might even have to spin the block and apologize to some people because you hurt people because you were hurt you know so um I definitely feel like if you don't deal with who you were as a child what happened to you as a child and your tendencies and likenesses it'll manifest in your relationships how you deal with people how you talk to people how you deal with yourself how I was treating myself is because I was so mad at the little girl in me for not speaking up and saying something and it's like, oh, I'm still punishing myself for not speaking. And it's like, well, hold on. So now it's like I'm hypervigilant. When I was, you know, going through these phases, I was hypervigilant. Like, oh, anybody say something to me, I want to fight. And it's like, girl, you ain't got to fucking fight everybody. You just mad because you didn't fight the person you were supposed to fight, you know? So yeah. it just manifests in so many different ways where you don't feel safe. And like I said, I was so mad at my ex-boyfriend because I didn't feel safe with him. And it's like, you really not mad at him. You're just mad at the couple of men in your life that made you feel unsafe and this one coincidental decision you was just like you know what fuck it you know <laughs> i just lost my damn mind so i definitely feel like whatever happened in your childhood whatever you're not thinking about or you you trying to force your brain to forget about you have to face it because there's no way around it the only way is through it and it's very hard I cried for like every day even when I told my parents and you know it, perspective talking to a black woman therapist I was talking to her and she was like, you know, you hold the secret, you held the secret in for like 20 years. And I was like, I am kind of old. You're right. 20 <laughs> years is a long time. And then when you say it out loud, like 20 years, like that's stuff people in their 50s and 60s say like, yeah, 20 years ago. And then I'm like, wow, I do have memories from when I was four and five and stuff. And then you're like, wow, that's why I don't remember my seventh birthday. And you'll and, and, and you be like, well, what the fuck? Like, I'm trying to tell you whatever happened when you was a kid. Or, you know, just little tendencies, the craziest stuff. You got to go back and you you got to you gotta push through those hard emotions. You really do. Because that, that's where you gain the power back. I thought I was going to gain power back, you know, subconsciously thinking I was going to be like, all right, well, I'm sexually free. And I'm, I'm for the hoes and blah, 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 blah. That's not, how I, that's not how you get it back. That ain't how you get it back, baby. Yeah, that's real. So with all of that, like, when, when did you first start your nonprofit? Um, so I actually started that in 2017. So that was like the same year I went to Mexico. I came back and I started the nonprofit because I was just, I was superwoman. I was like, man, if I don't be crying every day, at least I don't be trying to help somebody. <laughs> so I was like, all right, you know, we're going to have seminars. We're going to have talks. We're going to, um, we're going to get back to the community. And that's when I started doing the poetry jams. Cause I was like, I'm, I've always been a poet. Like I've always wrote and done things like that. Just to express myself, get the words off my chest. But I was like, nah, we're, we're going to, we're going to go further. Like we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. So, um, I think definitely I was trying to turn my pain into purpose and, um, not in any capacity do I regret starting my, um, nonprofit, but I will say, I started turning my pain into purpose before I finished dealing with the pain. And now I'm at the point where I've dealt with so much of the pain to go through it that I can speak about the pain freely and it doesn't hurt. And I remember listening to other people talk about stuff that they was going through. And I used to be like, oh, my God, this bitch is crazy. Why the fuck would you say that in front of all of us? Like, oh, my God. Why would you tell us that your mama killed your daddy? Oh, my God. Like, oh. I used to be like, oh, bitch, you crazy. Now I'm one of them people because it's like you, you when you're so confident. 
and what you went through, you could just talk about it freely. But yeah, 2017, that's when I started it. I was turning that pain into purpose. And I'm glad I did it. I'm I'm very much so glad I did that. I was gonna ask you, so I know you always have like a good group of friends around you. So yeah, so you never felt comfortable talking to them about it in the past? Um, what, like my depression? Yeah, like say like in high school, you know, or you already just ain't know like, she was depressed in high school. Um, I had a lot going on in high school. I was a cheerleader. I had a boyfriend. Okay. I was uh, going through hair school while I was in high school too. So I had a lot going on. Um, the other thing, and I was working too. I had a lot going on. I was, I was running around like a damn dog, but, um, it, I don't think it was necessarily whether my friends were like trustworthy. I think I just wasn't comfortable or confident enough in myself to just come out. Cause I feel like when you tell people you're sad or depressed, they sit on the other side and they're waiting for explanations. And it's like, I don't know why I'm sad. Because like I said, I'm, I'm my brain is blocking out like eight years of trauma right now. I don't know why I'm depressed and sad. I don't know why I'm not happy. I just know I'm not happy. But I'm, I'm just happy that I'm alive, though. And then once you kind of get older and your brain is kind of finishing developing just from a biological standpoint, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I can't just keep forcing this 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 pain down. So um, my friends are great. Like I could call them crying and they'll be like, okay, what's wrong? What's this? Okay. Did you relax today? When's your next appointment with your therapist? All right. Boom, boom, boom. Like I can trust my friends to kind of take care of me if I needed to. Cause I, they'll know, like I've, I've been through phases in my life where they were like, you showered this week. Right. And I'm like, I did. I showered this week. I brushed my <laughs> teeth, girl. Okay. I'm not going back the other way. Cause I feel like because of that one suicidal attempt, everybody's always on edge. Like, I can, like, turn my phone off for a couple of days, just, just not even on some depressed stuff, just, you know, needing a little break from life. And I'll wake up and I have, like, a million missed calls. I'm like, I'm alive. I'm here. I'm just had cool. to recharge. Had to recharge. Right. right. I just needed to recharge. Got a little liquor. Okay. Ate a little edible. I'm cool, though. Right. <laughs> I'm cool. Chill out. But it's definitely, I think sometimes I scared my family and friends with that. So they're definitely a little bit more vigilant. Because they be like, um, bitch, it's been 24 hours. Where the fuck are you? And I be like, oh, my bad, girl. Mm-mm, I was with my man. My bad. <laughs> my bad. I was doing my thing, girl. Just pop the plan B, girl. Calm down. Oh. Calm, down. <laughs> Calm down, girl. Okay. We was doing our thing. Okay. Oh, hilarious. So... Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, what would you tell a Sierra in her twenties or some a young woman right now that is, that went through what you go going through right now? Like, what what, what advice would you give them about battling um, this, this depression? Um, or any type of depression they're going through. Yeah, I think the main thing is like depression is what you're going through right now, and it's not who you are. Like, and I know it's a very cliche cliche statement when people say things like. Oh, what you're going through right now won't last and it's just a phase. And I always used to tell people, like, shut the fuck. Like, am I like, like, people said stuff like that trying to be encouraging. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, bitch, I'm ready to die. Like, you know what I mean? Because you're, when you're in it, you're in it. You know what I mean? Like, you cannot see the other side. Like, it was to the point where, like, you know, your, my advisors will call me for, like, you know, next school semester and they're like, oh, what size you want to sign up for? I'm like, girl, who gives a damn? I ain't going to be here anyway. Like, I, you know, it, it's, I feel like you don't even see the next phase of your life. And there is a next phase. Like a year after my suicidal attempt, I was in um, Dominican Republic on a mission trip. 
there's a reason, there's a purpose while I'm here. You know what I mean? Even just doing this podcast right now, hopefully somebody hears it. Somebody, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll use this information and they'll help themselves. We all have a purpose. You just may not see it or feel it right now. And that's okay to not see it and feel it right now. Like we're still young. People just be getting on and getting rich when they're like 35, 40 years old. Like that's just when their life start happening. People have kids at 30 years old. Like it's, it's not the end of the world at 21. If you can't see the the other side, and sometimes you're not supposed to see the other side. Everything doesn't have to be mapped out, dotted out. Like I, I definitely was one of those people. Like I'm graduating at this time. I'm going to be married by this age. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And when things started falling apart, I fell apart with it because I had this, you know, picket fence idea in my head. And it's just not, we can't plan our lives the way our purpose is, our purpose plans for us. So just hang in there. Okay. What you're going through is deep. But see a therapist, okay, and like a good one, you know, like a good one, because my therapist is really about accountability. Like it, it really is being accountable for yourself, being accountable for your own safety, being accountable for your own spirit. Because I think the problem with depression sometimes is we are angry at ourselves because we can't trust ourselves, and we're angry at other people because we trusted them, and they just they 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 fell, they they slacked on the job. So what you're going through is deep. But don't get too deep in the hole with it, okay? Like, you know, the whole saying, oh, there's sunshine after the rain. And, you know, it, it's true. It's true. But, you know, you got to get through the rain part. You got to cry it out a little bit. It's nothing wrong with crying. I think we feel bad when we cry. It's nothing wrong with crying. Once again, those that's our emotions physically manifesting. It's nothing wrong. Cry it out. Drink a little bit, you know, smoke a little bit, work out. I was working out real big at that time, crying on the treadmill. Everybody in the gym, like, you okay? Mind your business. I'm like, mind your business. You know, it's like 3 a.m. They're like, um, should we call somebody? Shut up. I'm, I, I, put the music back on. Shut the hell up. I'm going through. This is what the gym for. You know, so yeah. just, just keep on trying to find different ways to, to tunnel that energy. Even if, and I, I read this poem one time. And this was like the biggest thing at the time to me. And I love this poem. It was a book. It's it's, this poetry book I have. The couch is not the bed. And I used to be like, why the fuck would somebody put some dumb ass shit in a book like that? You know, and I'm like, when you think about it, the couch isn't the bed. Like, even if all you do that day is get out the bed and sit on the couch and lay on the couch and then get back in the bed, that's okay. You ain't got to go outside and save the fucking world. I mean, what are you, Captain America? You ain't got to do all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, take a shower today. That's cool. I mean, you know. Pick a flower, write a, I don't know, write something down. That's cool. I mean, you don't have to save the world. You just have to save yourself. And that's that's good enough. That is good enough. So that, that, that's my advice for younger me or younger people. Save yourself, okay? You're important. You know that, I actually loved your uh, take on all of this because I feel like it's so transparent, so much truth, but you can you can feel that you still have happiness and joy in you. You know what I'm saying? I and, do. And I feel like you are at a place of peace. I mean, I actually think you're hilarious. Like, this is like my first time talking to you. You're, you're pretty, you're very funny. Thank you. But it's yeah, just, I like a little jokey joke. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's ironic because uh, you know my sister, don't you? Yeah, that's my girl. Okay, that's my girl. I'm, I'm, when you talk to her, tell her to turn her money around right way. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about because I'm 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 thinking about it right now and it's pissing me off. She, she told me she's about to hit you up but she was like, you think she'll get mad at me if I hit her up after a year? I said, nah. And she told Girl, me... I don't give a damn. People do that to me all the time. I don't give a damn. I told her the same thing. I said, yo, I said the money, money. But it's funny because mm. she was like, yo, that's my girl. You're going to have her on. I got to listen. I was just like, how the mm-hmm. hell you know Sierra? And I don't really know Sierra. 
And she was like mm-hmm. Crackle Barrel and all that type of stuff. And I was like, okay. And it's funny because yeah, talking to you, was up and acting crazy. she told me. And talking to you, you are a lot like my sister. So it is yes, kind of but- funny just listening to you right now. Yeah, and what's funny with Ashley, she used to be like, all right, I'll just work this job. I'm about to go to this job, this job. And I, we used to be at work, and I'm like, girl, I got to go to work after this, and I just left work, and I'm here for this shit. And I used to be like, wow, like, we really out here just trying to get my – and that, that's another thing. Child, sometimes when you said, I feel like when I was sad, I'm either two sides of the spectrum when I'm depressed. I'm either in bed, not showering, not doing shit, and just wallowing in my own filth, or I'm like, I got like – 20 events to do. I got eight jobs I'm working. I'm working out every day, running four miles. Like I'm I'm just I'm just trying to uh block everything out of my mind. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely one or the other. But definitely whenever I'm sad, I'm like, mm let me go, let me go uh make somebody house up or go run and walk. And that's why I'm like, yeah, Ashley, that's my girl. Cause I don't know what you're going through, friend, but we both working. We both making money. Like, fuck it. At least I'm be rich and sad, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> she, she, a, she a go-getter for real. So shout out to you, Ashley, mm-hmm. if you're listening. But nah, that's dope. And uh, I just want to say thank you for coming on the episode, on the podcast and being so transparent. Thank you for having me. No, people was co-signed. It was like, nah, you really got to get a C on there. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to take y'all word for it. I love the people. I do. And they love you too. So I hope you have a good Sunday. I actually want to get you on a podcast for a future episode. I read that you have a great personality, especially if we're talking and everything like that. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm always available. Mm-hmm. I mean, today I was a little late. CP time, a little CP know. time, but you know, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had to make a little coin, a little dollar. I ain't but mad you know, at that. yeah, I'm always around for a little jokey joke, okay? I like to brighten up the mood, you know? Cool. Let's cry it out and laugh it out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All the above. But one right, more time, right. can you just uh, like drop your businesses, social media? So if you're out there in New Jersey, they can book with you. So it's Sierra in Clark on Facebook. I'm a, you know, sometimes I'm a Facebook comedian, but you know, I'm a businesswoman too. So don't be laughing too much. But on Instagram, <laughs> it's under. <laughs> I do be cracking myself up on yeah. Facebook. I have to stop because people don't take me serious when I start getting serious, and they be like laughing. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Okay, I'm serious. Nah, you but, be, um... you be getting people asses too on Facebook. I be seeing it. I'll be giving, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what, because I I will say, back in the day, I was very, I still am very passionate about Black activism, but you know what I've learned over time is that being so passionate about some things blinds you to the other sides, and also, it's like, it's kind of like a dog barking, like, you, you can't, people can't hear you because you're barking so loud. So I've learned over time to kind of reel it back a little bit because, you know, I, I had a tight hold. I was cursing everybody out on Facebook. Y'all don't need to be dating these people and yeah. blah, 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 <laughs> and block them. All these black bitches, I was cursing everybody the fuck out. And I'm just like, wow, I got to stop yelling at y'all all the time because it's, then sometimes I want y'all to be, be around me and be my friend. And they're like, you're going to see her again with the black rights. And I'm like, oh, damn, you got a white girlfriend. I can't be your friend, though. Oh, my. <laughs> I was just acting crazy, man. I'm trying to tell you. I was acting crazy. I had, I had to tone it back, tone it back. But uh, on uh, Instagram for hair is underscore styles by C underscore. And um, yeah, and oh, and my Skin I'm In page is skinimin.com. So yeah, y'all, y'all follow me and all that. And I follow back. I ain't one of them. <laughs> Yo, we appreciate mm-hmm. you. You're loved and cherished. And you know, we got to do this again, see? We do, we do. It's lit. We family now. 
I'm about to say, you're already family. You, you go cool with my sister, so you already know you're part of the I family. I know. Man. I love Ashley. Oh, my God. And she love you, too. Trust me. Like, she was she was talking about you this whole week, and I was just like, damn. Like, I said, mm-hmm. I, I, felt, I felt like I, went, I said, I went to school with you, and I don't even know you like that. I'm just like, I, I get mad sometimes, too, because my, my sister be like, knowing, like, people I went to school with. I'm like, how do you know all these people I went to school with? Like, you like Because you, Ashley's fun. That's why. She's fun. She's old, okay. though. She old. Well, let me, let me not talk she about that. She ain't that damn old. She ain't that she old. Not that damn old. She ain't that old, but I mean, she older than a lot of us. But anyway, much love, Ashley. Much love, Sierra. <laughs> I hope yeah, you. Have, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday, and we gotta do this again. All right, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Peace. All right. Bye. Yeah, that was hilarious. Hopefully, I can get one more person in. I don't know what a personality gonna be as good as Sierra. That was a real treat, but. You can see that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that people do go through stuff and they do make it out. And I feel like that was a clear example right there. Like, I really had joy just talking to her right there. I got a smile on my face now. So I'm about to get one more person on. So just stay patient. Keep listening because we got more good content on Real Last Conversations. All right, what's good, family? I got my final guest in for today. We go back to high school, middle school. I know this dude. He's a good dude. My boy Q. He's a very positive dude, man of many things. But I'm going to let him introduce himself. So Q, I want you to just, you know, give like a brief description of yourself and, you know, what you do. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, brother. Um, everybody knows me as Q. My name is Quentin. I'm 26 years old. From New Jersey. Um, I live in Alaska right now, currently. North Pole. So I've seen a little bit of everything. Is it is it daytime right now? Right now, man, it's about um we're approaching the twenty-four hour daylight period. So it doesn't get dark until around one AM right now. Does it mess with your sleep at all? Uh I mean, not really. Not like you would expect, you know. We've all taken naps during the daytime, so it's not too much different, man. Especially when you got blackout curtains. It's it's more of in your mind, you know. Once you lay down, it's easy. All right, all right. So let's get into the conversation for this week. So, uh, you know, I was talking about depression. I put it on Facebook, and I was very surprised by a lot of people that reached out to me that wanted to speak about it because, honestly, I didn't think that many people was depressed or experienced depression out there. But, I mean, I was sadly mistaken. Uh, you're mm-hmm. the second. You're the second uh, guy I have on here, and uh, this you're like the final guest as well. So we'll end on a good note. So I just want to ask you, what is depression to you? To me, depression, man, is especially in the black community. Depression is a silent killer, man, because we, as a, you know, as a collective, we don't really have that level of acknowledgement towards depression and honestly to me depression is a mental disease and by some people is used as a coping mechanism as well um and i speak that from experience you know like i definitely didn't understand it in this way while i was going through my depression however i understand now that i'm on the other side of it i was definitely using it as a negative coping mechanism and it was putting me in a cycle Okay, so did you know what was the root cause of your, of your depression? Um, the root cause of my depression, it, it was a mix of things. So I'll say the biggest cause was 
my own um, views of myself. I struggle with um, my identity growing up. And I attribute that to, you know, how cutthroat schools can be. You know, when you're young, like nobody wants to be the butt of the joke because it's kind of like you can almost never recover from that, man. Like if you're always, if you were the butt of the joke at some point, like you're just kind of always seen as a joke. And when you've been on the outside, you never want to go there again, man. So um, I started experiencing, you know, depression when I, I was going to, let me think. I want to say it was uh, like sixth grade where I started to have that clash between my identity and what people see me as. Because I've never been challenged really at that point as far as identity. When you're a kid, you kind of just, you know, you don't really think about that. You're, you want to play, you have a good time. That's really your world. As long as you're having a good time, it's not too much going on. But when you start growing up and things become important, like popularity and who's the cutest, that's when things kind of start to change and more people start feeling better about themselves and more people start feeling worse. So I was kind of in the middle, you know, because I had some flaws that were apparent to me and, you know, it made me very insecure. Like I had Everybody probably seen that picture of me where I looked like Norbit back in the day where I had the braces. And yeah, man, like when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. And that was the start of my depression. Damn, that's crazy. I remember like in like uh, middle school, and high school, you was always cool, man. Like you was in band. All my homies was your homies. So I'm kind of surprised that you said that. So you think it just started at home or do you think it's like other people felt that or you just think that it started with yourself and you kind of projected it outside? Um, it's a good question. It's, so I would say that it's, it started for me at school and then it was kind of like a domino effect of things changing. So I come from a very big family. I got six sisters. They're all younger than me and I got one brother. So excuse me, it's seven of us total. I got five sisters, one brother. So you're the oldest? Yes, sir. I'm the oldest. So I always had like a, a pressure on me, you know what I'm saying? Like to be a you're the oldest, model. right? As well? No, I'm the baby. So I can oh. kinda I kinda I'm like the opposite. <laughs> so I feel like you had a pressure to kind of be like the role model because I feel like my sister uh, who's the oldest i felt like she always kind of tried to distance herself from us because i felt like she didn't like the to be responsible for us in a way not just not i mean not because mm -hmm. she didn't want to be like around us it's just that when you grow up you got to be the person that take care of the younger ones and after a while you start being like hey like when do i get my own life kind of thing yo and that that's another thing it's it's great that you touched on that because this is also around the time you know my parents started working more because my, my dad used to have a really good job he worked for dow jones around this time he got laid off you know it was around that that time i think it was like 08 around there where a lot of people lost their jobs and um that happened in my house so it became very different you know my father was working extreme hours all the time and my mom was working hard as well. So I would be the one at home. And of course, I would be the one taking care of the girls that were there. Now, of course, I'm 
I'm happy and I'm very willing to take care of them. But at the same time, you know, it's creating like a kind of a, a paradox for me because it's like I want to be a kid. Yeah, I got these responsibilities and I want to, you know, it's like when you feel like when you feel like you're kind of in a box almost, you know, I'm I'm the oldest. My dad always made made it a point to tell me that, you know, you got to be the role model, whatever you're going to do, they're going to do. So just that being reinforced, reinforced, it was a um, it was out of love and it was supposed to be something positive to help drive me. But I was I think I was just a little too young and a little too immature to kind of use it as fuel in that way, because it, it sort of made me afraid to take risks in my life. So I went from being my genuine self into being like a version of myself that was crafty because I'm always trying to maneuver and tiptoe around these lines. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I got to be perfect. Mm. I don't want to be a failure because then everyone after me is going to be a failure. You know what I mean? Exactly. So you pretty much had to like model your life over the expectations of what you should be, right? Rather than just be able to just to find yourself. And I feel like that's what is the biggest issue with depression is just you know knowing yourself at the end of the day. That's right. So how did you first try to cope with that? Uh, with that type of uh, situation growing up, did you try to do sports? Try to like you know find kids who was older than you that you kind of like follow around like how did you cope with the whole being the oldest syndrome um so it, it led me to create this uh this thought in my mind you know because the pressure of it was constantly like putting me at battle so i started to develop this mindset that i'm just better than people and i know that's not that's not right and I definitely don't feel this, feel this way today. But how, when I was in school, you know, I would see the people that acting out looking like they're having a great time. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're causing distractions in school. They're getting in trouble. They're getting suspended. And I felt like, you know, I wanted to be part of the crowd that's having fun. But. I also felt guilty for wanting that, you know what I'm saying? But really what I wanted was just to be a part of something. And what I started to create was this persona that everybody, that I would say everybody knows as Q. Basically the clown person that's always goofing, always laughing, and, you know, always putting on, essentially I was putting on a show. Because what I really felt on the inside was like the opposite of that. You know what I mean? But Man, that's crazy. As a, and that's why I say I used it as a coping mechanism to protect myself because I wanted to be on the inside. So I found a way to make everybody be on my side for the most part. And I think it worked pretty well. Now, I never used it to, you know, do harm on somebody. But I, um, I definitely felt some blowback from that because it's like I'm, every day I'm going to school, I'm living a lie. 
Damn, that's crazy. I'm out here joking and playing with y'all, but like, I really want to just break down for real and talk to somebody about what's going on, but it it never comes out. So I squash myself more and more and more. So you ain't have anybody you could talk to that was like your friend that was like that? They used to be like, yo, like this is what really going on with me kind of thing. You know, I had, I definitely had people that I could have been open with, but it also goes into, you know, maturity. Like I just wasn't, I didn't realize how talking about what I'm going through would actually help me. I didn't realize how speaking my truth would be the thing that actually takes all these feelings away. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be forced. No, I feel I felt like in high school, I felt like I would just overly, how can I say, open. <laughs> it was like yeah. I had like Nick, Sipo, Tyler, like I would talk to them about things and I just felt comfortable because I felt like they just never really would judge me. And I feel like sometimes people don't speak because they don't want to be judged or don't want to feel any <laughs> shame in how they feel. Yeah. But to me, like if I ain't had those guys around me growing up, I don't know how I would have ended up. You know what I'm saying? I feel like when I went to college, I kind of turned into, like, what you were saying, kind of like, all right, I don't really know who to talk to for real. I'm in a new environment. I'm at a predominantly white school now. I don't want to mm-hmm. nobody told. So it's kind of like I kind of went back into my shell in, in college. But in high school and middle school, I was like an open book, man. And sometimes – People, I guess some people would be like, oh, this is a little bit too much you're telling me. But honestly, I'm like, yo, I feel better expressing it than holding it right. in. Because I felt mm-hmm. like at home, my family, we ain't really talk like that. So I needed to talk to somebody. And a lot of times it would be like Nick. Like Nick was like my right-hand man. So whenever I'd be around him, I would talk to him about everything. I don't know how he really <laughs> felt about it like at that time, but he always listened. Right. So when I hear like stories like that, like with you, it's just like you was around some of the same people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you said you wasn't really yourself at school. So who was Q or Quentin? It was about it was about 50 percent who I really was. And it was about 50 percent people pleasing. I, I was the type of person, you know, I would I would hold my tongue a lot or, you know, I would I was a peacekeeper. You feel me? Like if there was an altercation between me and somebody, I don't know why we would have an altercation because I, I was just never that person to have a problem with. But if it came down to something like that, I was so good at diffusing negative energy that, you know, I've, I've never been in a fight in my life, bro. And that kind of, I don't know, it, it's like it built a habit, you know what I'm saying? To try to like always err on the side of safety. So at what point would you just like, fuck it, like y'all going to love me or hate me? Like what point, at what age did that come about? I feel like that's something that I still struggle with from time to time. Oh, even now. It's more so on like a, uh, it depends on what we're talking about. You know, my level of confidence might vary on something that I know I'm very, like, you know, I know that I'm very strong in. Then I probably will be less likely to care about opinions and things like that. But if it's something that, you know, I I know I want to work on a little bit more before I put it out into the world or display it, I'm probably going to be a little bit more reserved. No, I definitely understand that everybody can just be 
vulnerable and open with how they feel. I feel like mm-hmm. I made this podcast so I can start kind of getting to how I used to be, just saying how I really felt. Because honestly, I yeah. feel like a lot of times when we feel in a situation where we're boxed in and we can't really express ourselves, can we feel like nobody can relate to how we feel. Mm-hmm. But I notice whenever I do say some issues that I'm facing or problems I dealt with, or if I say it on Facebook, like people be like, "Yo, like I went through that too. Like that's crazy. Like I like like you you inspire me to kind of like come out of my shell, kind of thing." And I be like, a lot of time I don't say it just to, I feel like to motivate others, but sometimes I just want people to know they're not alone. You know. Right. And I don't want people to feel like they can't they can't express themselves or say their weaknesses. I feel like with this whole social media age too, everybody just show their strengths. Like, hey, I'm strong at this, so I'm gonna just promote this. But nah, like I'm weak in a lot of areas. I have a lot of insecurities about a lot of things, so I mm-hmm. speak on it. Cause I f- it's one thing I don't know whether you look, like Charlemagne the God or not. He was just mm-hmm. like nobody can use you're dirt against you if you're the first person that say it pretty much. Like, he was like, if you pretty much say, like, your flaws, nobody can use it against you. So I'd rather right. say my flaws, speak about it myself, be my own critic on myself so it could take a power away. Because if somebody bring it up to me, I'd be like, all right, I already know that about myself. Like, I, I accept that flaw, but right. I know I'm working on it. And I feel like a lot of people sometimes, I don't know. Like, like some people be like, hey, you're a little bit, too, like, too open. I had somebody say, like, on my, on my post, like, hey, you, you don't have to be so open. You can kind of be mm-hmm. real and not be so transparent. But, I mean, I feel like that's the only way because, especially in the black community, it's the best way. I feel like, especially in the black community, when it comes to our parents and, like, our parents' parents, there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of secrets that people don't want to talk right. about. And I don't right. want to be, like, you, you have, a, you have a, a son, you have a wife. I don't want to be when I have my kids and my family. I don't want them learning stuff about me when they're in their twenties. I want them to know like, oh, I knew that my, my dad when I was a kid. He was open with me. He had that conversation with me. It's like things I'm learning now about my parents. I'd be like, damn, it's like, why didn't y'all yeah. tell me that when I was younger? Or I felt like I I didn't feel comfortable talking to them because I didn't think they could understand. But now as an adult, I talk to them about it, and I'd be like, yo, they went through the same shit I went through, but they don't talk about it not unless you really try to dig it out of them. So right. I try to just be as transparent as possible because I want to have conversations like these where people can be like, yo, like I had some identity issues and I feel like I had my identity issues later on. I feel like when I was younger in high school, I thought I, I knew who I was. But when I went to college, I kind of feel like I lost myself in a way and I had to kind of relearn myself. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting when you said you, it happened to you early on and like you're still going through it because I feel like I still go through it too. Like I'm in the South, like you know I'm from the East Coast. People mm-hmm. down South think, oh, if you if you if you uh, disagree with me, you being rude. I'm just like, nah, I just don't agree with what you say. I'm not trying to change your thought. I'm yeah. just going to mm-hmm. say my thought, and if you can't prove my thought wrong, I mean we could just both agree to disagree. Like there's been plenty of times me and you've been on on the stats before. And I'm like, all right, we can just agree to disagree, and it's just like yeah. that. Like, you ain't trying it to change my have views. To be... yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, like, it, I think that is, uh, that's something that is learned, you know what I mean? And now I'm not throwing any shade at our parents or grandparents that came before us, but it was just a certain way that they did things, you know what I mean? And that's why, like, transparent communication is probably not as normal to us as it probably could be. Because, one... I don't know about 
anyone else's parents. I'm not going to assume, but I know my parents didn't tell me everything because certain information is for adults. Certain information is for kids. Sometimes you tell your children things because you need them to act a certain way. And I, I totally understand that. But now I'm seeing, I'm seeing the value in transparent communication because as an adult with a family, that's really the only way things can go smoothly, man. Like for real. And I look back and I think about how, you know, things went between me and my parents or my grandparents. And, you know, a lot of those times when you have questions, you don't necessarily get answers unless the adult wants to give you an answer. And most times if they give you an answer, it's what? Because I told you to. You know what I mean? Not exactly. They feel like, no, and they love whatever they talk to you. But I feel like our generation is to the point where it's different parenting methods. I see a lot of parents giving their kids, sometimes I feel like too much freedom. But then again, I got to think like, hey, I got to kind of get out of that old school mentality. There's other ways to right. approach your kids and how to raise them up. Mm-hmm. So when I see a lot of, you know, my, my colleagues or peers I went to school with, with their kids and their, their teaching methods, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this part and take that part and kind of apply it to me if I'm, if I'm ever blessed with a family. But it's just crazy that your childhood can really shape you into your adulthood. I was talking to somebody mm-hmm. before I was on a, on a phone with you. She was just saying, like, she forgot, like, seven years of her life because she was traumatized by something. And she didn't really think about it again until she was in her 20s and something else happened. And she was like, well, what else happened in my life? And she had to kind of like dig back into her past kind of thing. Yeah. And you hear that a lot, especially with uh, women. They go through things when they were younger and they just oh, want to yeah. push it out. They don't want to even think about it until mm-hmm. something happens where they get like a breakdown. And they feel like, all right, I got to deal with this, mo- this thing that's happening right now. But where did it all come from? And I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of times with my personal relationship with women when it's come to dating comes from me, my how I was raised in my house. And uh, mm-hmm. I, that's something I deal with now. Like, I don't feel like I know how to really love properly. I don't think I know how to receive love properly just because how I was raised. It's kind of like if it's not on a friendship level, I don't know how to take it, like, past that. Like, when it's coming mm-hmm. to friends, I'm more, I'm more, I feel like I'm more, like, real with my friends than I've been with my previous, like, relationship with women. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And some sometimes I'd be like, "Yo, what's wrong with me?" Then I have to go back and think and be like, "These mm-hmm. certain moments in my life is what shaped me to kind of feel the way I do." And I feel like half the battle was knowing it, but now I'm at a point where I'm just trying to fix it. So, mm-hmm. how are you currently trying to currently trying to resolve those issues you had before when it comes to kind of like your identity? I would say the single most effective thing that I did to help me with with these issues is therapy, 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 therapy. And when did you start with age? I, I, say again. What age did you start going to therapy? I started. I started last year. Okay. Is he a, like, a, 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 a black it, man? It's new to me. Is a black man? Is a regular person? It's a um. It's actually a Vietnamese woman from Australia. Okay. So I just thought that was. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Like she has the Australian accent, but she looks Asian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I about to say she's probably she's probably good as hell too. Yeah, man, she's great. It's it's I'm like I'm no shade to like um you know any therapist that's not a not a minority, but I feel like in that situation 
you need someone who's going to understand some of the qualms that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. And somebody who doesn't have melanin is probably not going to understand a lot of the stuff that we deal with. Exactly. So what is one thing your therapist told you to focus on to kind of, I guess, mend your past trauma in a way? There's a few things that we did. There's this exercise essentially where it's like you, it's like a, a meditation practice where you visualize, you know, uh, some past trauma that you've been with and the way the, the exercise works is you're supposed to um, envision yourself going back to yourself in that hurt moment and then you apply the love that you needed then to yourself. And it, it sounds weird, but it, it works. And it's, it's like not an a instant thing or a quick fix, but over time you will start to feel how it's like helping you. So I had to do that for a few, um, a few things that I dealt with, and I've also been doing um, a lot of work just with uh, lifestyle change. You know, you got to change the things that you do on a daily basis because every result that we see in our life is a product of habits that we have. So if there's supposed to be a change going on. You got to start with the things that you do every day and you have to be super uh, sensitive and observant of yourself. And you got to be honest. Do you think the main catalyst was your son being born? It was definitely one of the biggest catalysts because, you know, I was, I was working on it before he came and I was feeling pressure. Like, ah, man, I know my son's coming. Like I gotta be right. Like, I can't be out here shaky when I'm supposed to be holding him down. And then when he came, it was like, all right, man, like, I don't I don't have time to keep spinning my wheels. Like, we got to move forward and we got to move now. It's not just about me anymore. It's about this unit. A lot of people might say it's selfish, but when you understand how you affect everything that's going on, then you will understand how important it is to make sure that you're good first. I always like to use the the metaphor of, you know, when you're on the plane, what do they say in case you need oxygen? They say, put your mask on first before you try to put somebody else's on. Mm, okay. And that's the same way it has to be with your mental, physical, and spiritual health. You have to look at it that way. And if somebody's convincing you to, you know, overstep, and give more than what you got, then that's probably not a good situation because a real friend, somebody who's really in your corner is not gonna make you give more than what you can unless they're trying to push you for something better. And if somebody can't understand or respect that boundary, that's an issue. And that's something that I struggle with because I didn't set boundaries. Like I was the type of person, I was go with the flow 100% of the time. Like. I could probably find a way to be cool with almost anything unless it's like blatantly a violation. And I had to stop doing that because it's like, it was like, I didn't care about myself. You know, I didn't understand that that was what it was reinforcing throughout my whole body and everything that I did. But you have to, you know, you have to be a lot more intentional with your life. And that's, it's easy to fall into depression when you don't, 
have a direction or a goal. And they say the auto mind is the devil's playground. Why? Because anything could go on in there. Mm. But if you have a goal and a vision, you're not worried about the nonsense that's going on because you're focused. Exactly. So what would you tell your son if he was going through these issues at the same age you was going through it? What I tell my son, first of all, stop comparing. Like, don't compare yourself to anybody, to anything else. Don't compare somebody's success or where they're at in their life because you don't see the whole journey. You don't know what somebody's been through to get where they are. And that's not your story. So it, it doesn't make sense for you to even try to define your define your life by somebody else's standards. That's not for you. So you got to you got to really just be mindful of that. And social media is like one of the biggest places for that to happen. It's so easy. You see somebody having a great day. It's like, dang, my day sucks. There you are already comparing. But little do you know, that person probably lost somebody that day. You know what I mean? The only thing they could do is post a picture of them smiling. No, exactly. It's all about it's all about seeing the whole picture. Exactly. That's why I said people. I'll be on Facebook a lot, but sometimes I'll be having to take a break. I had one of my coworkers be like, "Hey, you haven't posted nothing in a while." I was like, "I have to kind of fall back because when I'm on Facebook, I really don't look at other people's stuff. I just post things, questions, because I just want to hear what people say. I'm not really mm -hmm. in it to see what other people are doing. That's why I do have an Instagram." I do have a Twitter, but I barely ever on it. I don't really, because I feel like both right. of those are just so superficial. I feel like Facebook yeah. a little bit is the happy medium where it's like, all right, you can have real conversations. But sometimes yeah. I just need to fall back from social media. Like I'm thinking about taking right. a break real soon for social media just because regardless of what, even if you are trying to do it, you're in your subconscious, you're still somewhat comparing yourselves in a way. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's the bad thing about social media is like, no matter what happens, you might post something you might be like oh this ain't get the likes or comments i thought i was going to get <laughs> right. yeah, you start exactly. feeling you start feeling some type of way or are or, or inadequate and it's not even about that mm -hmm. so it's all about using i guess like these tools are needed for the advancement for us but it's all about using it i feel like a small quantity it's almost like like sweets and shit like that like you can't eat like a million burgers and i expect to get fat as hell you can eat a right. burger. Yeah, you get a burger here and there. You can taste it, see how you know, enjoy it. Not saying cut it out, but doing it in moderation. And when I do right. try to post things, it's really just about my podcast or questions I'm about, I'm about asking my podcast. So it's it's definitely interesting. And I kind of feel like I feel bad for this new generation because I feel like we came at the cusp where social media was prevalent, but it wasn't as big as, as it is now. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, like I don't think the like button was around like that when we was growing like i think it was but i don't think it was as prevalent on all type of platforms i think a lot of stuff was just either like comment or like repost mm -hmm. now the like button on everything you're just like all right if i don't get this many likes i might be ugly <laughs> you know what right. i mean but that's not the case at all so i feel like we are in a perfect generation where we can kind of tell the next generation like yo we experience these things but we know what it was before that time too before Facebook, before MySpace. Right. I still remember those days, you know? And I appreciate them the most because I actually remember life. <laughs> like, actually living without <laughs> without all of that, you know? I remember, like, just having fun riding your bikes with your homeboys. 
right playing i don't know you know like manhunt or like tag and stuff like that yeah i know all about that bro exactly <laughs> that's what i say i don't know that's i don't know people call manhunt different things but like doing that playing super smash bros over your homeboy crib on the 64 like those are memories i cherish the most <laughs> that's why i said yeah. I, I still like like doing tough stuff like that now like people tell me like do you be playing games i said honestly i can't play games if I don't have like a group of people in the room with me. Like I don't like this whole play over the internet thing because I feel like that's so antisocial as well. But it's so impersonal. Exactly. Like I want to hear. I want you to hear me talk shit. I want to hear you talk shit. I want to see the reactions. <laughs> I don't want it just to be over. You know, I guess a headphone set. Like I don't. I, I don't. I just don't get into it like that. So that's why, you know, I know we in that Smash Bro group. I really just don't be on it because I'm like, yo, I mean. I'd rather be there in person. <laughs> I'm a more of an in-person kind of guy. I'm not. I'm not a phone kind of guy at all. But no, nah, that's a that's that's a dope though, Q. I, and I like the fact that you said you're still dealing with it. Cause I feel like a lot of us are still dealing with trauma we faced, and it's crazy how. Let's. I'm just going to give a random number. Like, is it crazy how like ten years of our childhood can probably shape our whole adulthood? Like, people are fifty still dealing with issues from their childhood. You know. And mm-hmm. you're in denial about it. So it's good that you know the issue and what happened. And honestly, I do. I did feel bad for my oldest sister, but I feel like she actually the one that turned out the best. Ironically, uh, as it sounds, because I feel like me and my me and my middle me and my sister who was like the middle child. I feel like we both have interesting ideas when it comes to relationships. But my oldest one, she was just like, nah, like I'm not going to let what happened in our past like hold us back, kind of thing. So she gave me hope. Mm-hmm. Trust me, she don't be hitting. She don't be hitting us up like that. So she, I, I love her from a distance because she just like I got my family now. Like, like it is what it is. Like as soon as she left college, she was like, "All right, like peace out." And I respected it. I was like, "Man, I ain't man." And also, I really didn't care either. But I, I know that it was hard for her growing up having to be the the one responsible for us. Yeah, it is. A, it is a heavy burden. So, how's your relationship with your with your uh, siblings right now? With my siblings? Yeah. My relationship with them is great. We communicate, um, share things. We are, we're open, you know. We 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 feel like we're best friends, you know. And I'm the, the person that they can come to with the information that they might not necessarily want to go to my parents about, you know. And I can I can still guide them, you know, the same way that my parents probably would but just without encroaching so much because you know how just parents are, man. They're just parents. Like they don't sometimes understand just, sometimes. They just don't understand. Yeah. Sometimes they, they might, they might understand and they just don't got the right words for you. Like you just gotta get it from another spot. Like an example, like I hate when I ask my mom for advice, she just be like, you know, pray to Jehovah. I need something more than just pray to Jehovah. Mom. I need some <laughs> real life yeah. advice. But that's why I must have two parents because, like, my dad's, like, the other side. Like, he was – he's nothing like me because he was, like, a street cat for real. Like, he was in the hood for real. But, like, mm-hmm. he experienced so much that if I asked him for advice, he'd be like, yo, I fucked up and did this. Like, you got to move, like, this way. And I kind of ap- appreciate having both spe- spectrums. And I'm at a point mm-hmm. now where I'm starting to get closer to my father. Because I feel like when I was younger, it was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm the kid. He's an, he's an adult. I can't right. really talk to him. Now he's reaching out to me, and I'm just like, damn, I can really talk to him. Like, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. an adult now, kind of thing. I, I went back home uh, 
in November, and he's talking to me about the legalization of marijuana and stuff in New Jersey, and I'm just like, huh? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I'm saying? But he's, like, <laughs> yeah. just talking to me like I'm a normal dude, and I'm just like, damn, like, all right, Dad, I didn't know you was into all of that. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that that's a big – it's a big change, man. I, I'm going through this, a similar thing with my dad now where it's like, all right, we can finally speak and be on the same plane. Like, it's not just – him telling me what I should be doing or him telling me what I did wrong or, you know, just it's it's more just like, yo, I'm a man and you're a man and we having a conversation on the topic. And I know it's like very simple, but it's very eye opening because now I get to I get access, you know, to all the things that I, I didn't see growing up, I, the things I didn't know about my dad. So it's like I'm meeting him all over again, essentially. And that's a beautiful thing, man. But uh, I don't want to keep you on too long, Q. I just want to know, what are your last words for anybody listening to, to, to this right now going through depression? Anybody who's listening to this right now, man, if you're going through depression, you can do it. I know it's hard, but as much as you, you your mind might be telling you one thing, you could also tell it to do another thing. Like you got to remember that. You are in control. You are not your mind. You are not your body. But you are the being. You are the entirety. I appreciate that, Trust bro. Yourself. Go ahead. My fault, my fault. Yeah, you guys just, say? yeah, trust yourself, man. Take baby steps. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's going to be all right. Your wise words from a decent man. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that, bro. Uh, I need. To, I, I want to get you back on. Probably, I, I'm thinking about making another podcast about anime. So I, you know, I'm still trying to get people on for anime conversations because okay. that is a big market I want to kind of reach out to. But nah, we definitely got to chop it up more, bro. Because I want to know Quentin and not Q. <laughs> right, right. Let's do it, man. Let's do it, man. You know, it's all love. I appreciate you coming on. I hope you have a blessed Sunday and thank you for this real last conversation. I appreciate you, brother. All right, peace, man. Be blessed. All right, so that's the end of Depression is Real Part 2 of Real Last Conversations. As you can see, different people experiencing somewhat similar things, but they all are working on it. They all have faith. They all are trying to get to the other side of the tunnel or either or even reached it. And trust me, you shouldn't compare your depression to nobody else's whether it's small to you not feeling good about yourself or whether it's suicidal thoughts, just know that you have somebody that can relate to you. There's always somebody you can talk to because, trust me, there are things I was scared to talk about, but I'll bring it to my friends or put it on Facebook, and people are just so open about it, and I just appreciate it because they can relate. And trust me, we all go through things. Just know that we all are loved by somebody and that we mean the world to somebody. So think before you do everything, and just know that you can do it, and that no situation is too big for you to conquer. And it's those, those are my final words. This has been a real-ass conversation. It's your boy, Trave. Keep it real. Peace. <laughs>